Book 7, Chapter 4 of A Class Book of Old Testament History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J.L. A Class Book of Old Testament History by George Frederick McClear. Book 7, Chapter 4 Invasion of the Midianites. Gideon. Judges 6 through 8. B.C. circa 1256 through 1249. As so often before, the effects of this last great deliverance were but transitory. Again, the Israelites relapsed into idolatry and in consecrated groves practiced all the abominations that disgraced the worship of Baal. The national punishment they thus drew down upon themselves was more severe than anything they had yet endured since the sacred war led by phineas against the midianites numbers thirty one one through thirteen that people had recovered much of their ancient strength and now in concert with the amalekites and the children of the east judges six verse three or the arabian tribes beyond the jordan they determined to invade the territory of israel led by two superior chiefs having the title of king zeba and zamuna and two inferior chiefs oreb and zeb the raven and the wolf they poured into the country with their herds their flocks and their camels like locusts for multitude and gradually overran it from the plain of jezreel down the valley of the jordan and southward as far as gaza and the fertile lowlands of the west here they established themselves destroyed the crops and for a period of seven years reduced the israelites to the greatest straits so that they left the plains and fled for refuge to the dens or catacombs which they cut out of the rocky mountains to inaccessible strongholds and the limestone caves with which palestine abounds judges six verse two as so often before the deliverer came from the quarter most exposed to the ravages of the invaders at ophrah in the hills of western manasseh not far from shechem and overlooking the plain of jezreel the headquarters of the midianitish host lived a high-born abiezrite a descendant of one of the princely families of manasseh joshua seventeen verse two and numbers twenty six verse thirty named joash the invasion had brought not only impoverishment but dire bereavement into his home in a skirmish near the heights of tabor the midianite kings zeba and zamuna had slain all his noble sons save one gideon judges eight verses eighteen and nineteen on one occasion as gideon was threshing wheat not in the open summer threshing floor but by the wine press near his native ophrah to hide it from the midianites an angel appeared and saluted him with the words the lord is with thee thou mighty man of valor in reply, Gideon contrasted the present degraded condition of the nation with the glorious days when Jehovah brought them out of Egypt, and complained that he had now deserted them, nor was there any hope of deliverance. Thereupon the angel informed him that he was the destined saviour of his people, that the Lord would be with him, and that he should smite the Midianites as one man. Judges 6.16 unable to believe that such a mission could be designed for himself gideon requested a sign to assure him that the speaker was a messenger of jehovah and by direction of the angel made ready a kid and cakes of unleavened bread and presented them under the oak the angel then bade him lay the flesh and unleavened cakes upon the rock and pour the broth over them and when he had done so touched them with a rod he bore in his hand instantly there rose up fire from the rock and consumed the offering in the midst of which the angel suddenly disappeared 
The fact that he had thus been permitted to converse face to face with deity filled Gideon with alarm. But the Lord reassured him, and he built an altar there, which he called Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord send peace, in memory of the salutation of the angel. Judges 6.24 1. Thus solemnly called to be the deliverer of his countrymen, Gideon was first commissioned to testify against the idolatrous practices which had caused the present national degradation. The Lord appeared to him in a dream, and bade him throw down an altar which his father had erected in honor of Baal, and cut down a grove he had set up, and then to build, in an orderly manner, an altar to Jehovah on the rock where his meat offering had been accepted, and sacrifice thereupon his father's second bullock of seven years old. With the assistance of his servants, Gideon, during the night-time, executed this commission, and on the morrow the townspeople were surprised to find that both altar and grove had disappeared. Enquiry led to the detection of the offender, and Joash was bidden to bring forth his son that he might be put to death for the sacrilege of which he had been guilty. But Joash replied with much irony that he was truly guilty of impiety, who believed that Baal could not defend himself. Will ye take upon yourselves, said he, to plead Baal's cause? Let him plead for himself. A new name, which Gideon henceforth bore, Jerob Baal, or the trier of Baal, attested the national acquiescence in the wisdom of his father's reply. Judges 6, verse 32. 2. Tried and not found wanting in moral courage, Gideon was now directed to carry out the second part of his commission. Blowing a trumpet, he first gathered around him his own clan of Abiezer, and then sending messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, invited the aid of these tribes against the common enemy. With characteristic caution, however, he requested a further sign from Jehovah before actually entering upon his arduous task. A double sign was vouchsafed to him. A fleece of wool, first dripping with dew while all the soil around was hot and dry, then dry while all the soil around was damp, convinced him that the Lord would indeed deliver Israel by his hand. By this time, upwards of 32,000 of his countrymen had gathered around him, and with this force he encamped on the slope of Gilboa, near the spring of Jezreel, henceforth known as the spring of Herod, or trembling, overlooking the plain of Jezreel, covered with the tents of the Midianites. But the host was too many and too great for God to give victory thereby. If they were successful with their present numbers, they might vaunt that their own hand had saved them. Proclamation was therefore made that from the spring of trembling, all who were afraid to persevere in their arduous enterprise might return to their homes. Of this permission, 22,000 at once availed themselves and went their way. But another trial was to test the qualifications of the rest. By divine command, Gideon took the remaining 10,000 of his forces to the spring and watched them as they assuaged their thirst. While all the rest bowed down upon their knees, Three hundred, putting their hand to their mouth, lapped of the water with their tongues as a dog lappeth. Judges 7, 5, and 6. These three hundred Gideon set by themselves. The rest he sent away. Night now drew on, and with his little band, like the same famous number at Thermopylae, he was left alone on the brow of the steep mountain which overlooks the Vale of Jezreel, where Midian and Amalek and all the children of the east lay along like locusts for multitude, their camels gaily caparisoned, numerous as the sand on the seashore. Judges 7.12 To confirm the faith of Gideon in this great crisis, God now bade him, attended by Pura his armor-bearer, drop down from the height where he was, and go to the host of his enemy. 
Accordingly, the two crept down cautiously from rock to rock in the still night to the outskirts of the Midianitish tents, where Gideon overheard a man tell his fellow how he had dreamt a dream, and, lo, a cake of common barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian, and came unto a tent, and smote it that it fell, and overturned it that the tent lay along. To this recital the other replied, showing the reputation Gideon had gained even amongst his foes. This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hands hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Judges seven thirteen and 14. The listener heard the dream and the interpretation, and straightway knew what he was to do. Returning up the mountain to his faithful three hundred, he divided them into three companies, and gave to every man a horn, an earthen pitcher, and a firebrand or torch, Judges seven sixteen margin, to put therein. Then bidding them follow him, and do exactly as they saw him do, in the beginning of the middle watch, he again stole down towards the outskirts of the tents of the Midianites, while the three companies, following silently, took their places, every man round about the slumbering camp. Then Gideon and his company suddenly blew their horns, and at this signal three hundred horns blew, three hundred pitchers crashed, three hundred torches blazed, and the always terrible war cry of the Israelites, the sword of Jehovah and of Gideon, rent the midnight air. In a moment the Midianites and Amalekites were roused and thrown into inextricable confusion and alarm. Amidst the blazing of so many torches, the crashing of so many pitchers, and the blast of so many trumpets all on different sides, they imagined themselves attacked by an enormous force, filled with uncontrollable terror. They turned their swords against one another, and then rushed with one accord down the steep descent towards the Jordan eastward to Bashita, the house of the Acacia, and Abel Mahola, the meadow of the dance hotly pursued not only by the three hundred but some of the forces of naphtali asher and manasseh now convinced amidst the returning light of day that gideon had indeed achieved a great victory judges seven twenty three the midianites hoped to reach the fords of bethbara immediately under the highlands of ephraim but Gideon had already sent messengers thither, and the Ephraimites were not slow to seize the fords and intercept the flying foe, but not before a considerable body had already crossed with the two kings, Zeb and Zamuna. But they were in time to capture the two inferior chiefs, Oreb and Zeb, the one at a sharp cliff, the other at a winepress, where they slew them, and, cutting off their heads, hurried after Gideon, who, with his three hundred, was already on the other side of the Jordan, faint yet pursuing annoyed now that the victory was won that they had not been summoned to join in the battle the haughty ephraimites chode with him and manifested great resentment with rare self-restraint the victorious leader asked what after all he had done in comparison with them pointing to the bloody heads of the princes they had slain he inquired whether the grapes ephraim had already gleaned were not better than the entire vintage of his little clan of abiezer this soft answer turned away the wrath of the offended tribe and the chase was renewed Judges 8, verses 1 through 3. Two places on the track of the pursuit refused to befriend Gideon. The men of Succoth on the east of the Jordan, near the ford of the torrent Jabok, and of Penuel further up the mountains, declined to supply his nearly exhausted troops with bread, and mocked at him when he said he was chasing the kings of Midian. Halting only to threaten them with vengeance on his return, he hurried on after the enemy. The victorious Israelites had already slain a hundred and twenty thousand, but fifteen thousand with the two kings had reached Karkor, far from any towns in the open desert waste east of the Jordan.
Here they thought themselves secure. But Gideon, ascending from the valley of the Jordan, burst upon them, put them to a complete rout, and at last captured the two kings, Ziba and Zamuna. Then, in triumph, the conqueror returned down the long defiles leading to the Jordan, followed by his cavalcade of captives mounted on their gaily decked camels. Judges 8, verse 21. As he passed Penuel, he raised to the ground its lofty watchtower and slew the men of the city. Reaching Succoth, he obtained from a young man of the place a description of its seventy-seven headmen and showed them the captive kings, and then, with the thorny branches of the neighboring acacia groves, he beat them to death. Then, pushing westward, he reached his native Ophrah. There, turning to the captive kings, and at length revealing the secret of this long pursuit, he inquired what manner of men they were whom they had murdered on the green slopes of Tabor. "'As thou art, so were they,' was the reply. "'Each one resembled the children of a king. "'The remembrance of his brothers, the sons of his own mother, "'filled the warrior with wrath. "'Had they shown mercy to them, he would have spared his prisoners, "'but now that could not be. "'Summoning, therefore, his firstborn, Jether, "'he bade him draw his sword and slay them. "'But the boy quailed before those mighty kings, "'and at their request Gideon himself took the sword and slew them, "'and gathered up the golden chains and crescent-shaped cowlers "'and trappings of their camels.'" Judges 8, verses 18-21. through 21. The immediate effect upon the nation of this deliverance was greater than that of any other. Not only had the country quietness for forty years, Judges 8, verse 28, not only did Gideon's altar and the spring of trembling and the rock Oreb, or the raven's crag, and the winepress of Zeb remain standing monuments of this great day, when God made like a wheel and drove over the uplands of Gilead as stubble before the wind, Psalm 83, 13 and 14, like clouds of chaff blown from the summer threshing floors, the proud people which had said, Let us take to ourselves the pastures of God in possession, Psalm 83, verse 12, but... For the first time, the Israelites offered hereditary royal dignity to the great conqueror. Rule thou over us, said they, both thou and thy son, and thy son's sons also. Gideon had the rare self-control to decline the flattering request. I will not rule over you, said he. Neither shall my son rule over you. Jehovah shall rule over you. One request only, and a strange one, did he make of the grateful tribes, that they would give him the golden earrings and the other ornaments they had taken from the conquered foe. Willingly into his cloak the people flung the ornaments, jewels, and chains from the camel's necks to the weight of 1,700 shekels. And with these Gideon made an ephod, and put it in his native Ophrah, and all Israel went a-whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Though he declined the royal dignity, he was addicted to a royal failing. He multiplied wives and begat seventy sons, and, after living to a good old age, descended in peace to the tomb of his father Josiah and Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Judges 8.32 End of Book 7, Chapter 4